It was a large, old reading room in the basement of an old Victorian building in an old village in old New England. The room was a sea of dusty old wingback chairs, grouped in twos, facing round small tables. One could not walk a straight line from the double doors to the fireplace at the far end. A dozen people could be in the room and not see anyone else but the person opposite. This was the hometown of an obscure writer of short, weird fiction from the turn of the last century. And I thought these stories from original manuscripts would be a crowning addition to my thesis on transitional short fiction of the late 19th and early 20th century. It was to be my grand opus and would cement my position as the rising star of the English department. But time was short. It had taken me hours to navigate the narrow country roads to get here. Why did these types of writers always live in such backwater places? I arrived in time to stick my foot in the door, just as the old maid librarian was closing it. After a few minutes of very picturesque begging and pleading, she showed me to the archive room, which was next to the reading room, and left, telling me to lock the door on my way out. After an hour of collecting material, I dragged it to the empty reading room and sat down to my study. I was tired and must have fallen asleep because suddenly I was shocked awake by a deep voice which seemed to come from a wingback chair on the other side of the room. These stories are much more interesting when they are heard rather than read, it said. Listen, and you'll hear what I mean. This is a story about life and death. No humans required. The Brown Moccasin by David Baxter Between banks heavily draped with long, flat, slow grass and overshadowed by lambent-leaved cottonwoods, the greenish waters of the slow-moving creek seemed utterly devoid of life. The Kansas sun poured a flare of solemn heat directly upon the flaccid bosom of the lazy stream, intensifying the shadows beyond the fringe of dry grass and making of them the only cool, damp retreat in the whole region. There was no wind, and scarcely a ripple where the tips of the rank, overhanging growth cut the water with an almost inaudible gurgle. Close above the water, and close led by his sharp-lined shadow, hovered a silent snake doctor, intently studying the sluggish current in search of any infinitesimal morsel of food that might be drifting there. His bright blue, black-banded wings of delicate gauze threw him into sharp contrast with the rest of the drab picture. But in the black shadows along the soggy banks, and below the murky glaze on the surface of the water, Life teemed in its mysteries and its mirrored forms, giving the lie to outward appearance. A repulsively incongruous alligator turtle, of impregnable size and armoring, watched with evil intent the slow but gradual approach of a school of brilliant-hued sunfish. King of the creek was he, with his spike coat and horn-crested helmet, he feared no denizen of his world, and but for his massive clumsiness, he would soon have cleared it of all life but his kind. For nature had created him almost invulnerable, 
but had also placed restraint upon his veracity. In a world where one life exists by preying upon another, this paradox must ever be true. Each inhabitant must have some protection to prevent entire extinction, and each must have some special dispensation by which he may subsist through breaking down the protective barriers of the others. However, beneath the edge of a tangle of drift, in the deepest part of the torpid stream, yet another pair of glassy eyes watch with cannibalistic intentions, watch for an opportunity to prey upon some weaker member of his watery domain, watched for a lowering of the barriers. A big catfish with bristling whiskers and slowly gaping mouth seemed fairly a part of the snarl of roots and twigs in which he was ambushed. The sharp spines on either side of his massive head were ready for instant defense or for slaughter if his needs pressed him to attack the larger specimens of the water tribes. With his white belly buried in the slime and his black back blending with the surrounding shadows, the marauder felt secure in his hiding place. If further proof were needed to refute the appearance of lifelessness in the stagnant creek, it could be found beneath a flat ledge protruding from and lying close to the muddy floor of the stream. Here a mother crawfish was incessantly on guard over her large family of ever-hungry youngsters, guarding but always watching for the opportunity to dash out and seize an unsuspecting minnow to throw into the midst of the squirming multitude of claws. Her protruding eyes saw everything that happened in the neighborhood, her powerful pinchers were ever alert to protect her brood or to nip the life out of an unwary prey as food for them. But in spite of her formidable armament of claws and crusty shells, in spite of her ability to scuttle backwards through the water like a flash of living red light, she dared not sally forth in search of a victim while the monster snapper remained in the vicinity. A slight but startling sudden splash broke the stillness of the scene. A long, lithe body had died from a low-hanging limb of the stunted cottonwood tree that struggled to remain a root hold on the steep bank. The sound was barely audible, but all of the denizens of the creek knew its portent and sought to snuggle closer in their respective dens. Even the powerful alligator turtle folded his tail and legs a bit closer beneath his parasite-ridden shell and drew his horrid snout back until he could scarcely see what was taking place in the dim light about him. There was but a momentary disturbance of the surface as the brown water moccasin slipped into the water, and no waves or ripples indicated her passage along the sandy bottom near the center of the creeping current. The swimmer was a full-grown female water snake of the common brown type, harmless as to venom, but very powerful and extremely vicious when attacked, doubly feared by the creatures of her world because she could take to the earth, trees, or water with equal facility. Bred of the water and reared of the earth as she was, and now fearfully respected by the whole animal kingdom, her younger days had been spent in a continual fight for existence. At the age of three years and full-grown, she was now a careless swimmer, making her way gracefully upstream unmolested, scarcely visible from the surface, washed clean of the dried mud from which she had disguised herself while lying on the mud-gray limb of the cottonwood. 
she presented a strikingly beautiful appearance. After swimming several rods, she came to the silky surface for a breath of air and a survey of the surroundings, the latter for the purpose of making certain there were no lurking dangers on either bank of the creek or in the trees above it. She had learned in her younger days to be forever on guard against hidden foes in the water, in the air, or on land. She paused to float idly a moment while trying to locate a possible source of food for which a litter of forty squirming youngsters were constantly clamoring. It frequently happened that she could obtain this food without the hours of patient waiting for a frog or fish to pass her perch on a projecting limb or log. Momentarily, the brown-banded moccasin floated with the imperceptible current. Then, with a powerful flirt of glistening tail, she proceeded more swiftly upstream on her way to the nest of husky young ones she had already left over long. Many of them were nearly large enough to stray off in their first adventures with the world, and might leave any time now if she stayed away too long. The rest were mere waxy morsels for some of the land tribes among which there were clans of her own kin, the bull snakes and black racers. These young moccasins were a brood of which any snake mother might be proud, strikingly marked with jet-black crossbands on a pale gray background along the body and a black-spotted abdomen of dull grayish hue. When left alone, they formed into one withering knot of reptiles, as they had been taught, both for the sake of safety through intimidation and for the companionship afforded by bodily contact. The little fellows could take on the pattern and coloring of the parent later on, but now they scarcely resembled her. Slipping through the smooth water, throwing slow miniature rollers on each side of her course, the big female moccasin presented a picture both fearsome and inspiring. Her reddish-brown body crossed by wavy dark brown bands on the forward portion alternating with much broader bands of black, caused her to appear almost solid brown in contrast with the green water. Crossed by narrow lines of yellow, the black bands glistened in the sun, fascinatingly sinuous. A narrowing of the bands on her sides, where they were separated by broad interlaces of ground color, resembling an upright triangle, gave her a weird effect. On the rear portion of her body, the bands broke into blotches in a series down her back, alternating with another down each side. And as the snake moved in sweeping waves through the water, her abdomen was exposed, anon in brilliant iridescent red and black spots. Slipping over the surface of the creek, the female water snake held her head high out of the water, as if to better her attempt to pierce the gloom beneath the cascade of dry grass. Ready at the slightest alarm to dive below, ready to shoot like a sunbeam at an unsuspecting toad should one present itself along the way. In spite of her beautiful colors, the furtive glistening eyes, tiny sparks of burning metal, gave the serpent a sinister aspect which threw fear into the hearts of the amphibious inhabitants and caused them to cringe further back in their dens as she passed. They knew from past experience that the brown-banded moccasin was possessed of lightning speed and a savage temper, backed by a furious fighting strength. Her somber dress, when dry, 
are coated with mud to deceive them, inspired fear and hatred in the hearts of all the amphibious and terrestrial tribes in that region. Her remarkable ability to flatten her head and half of her body into a thin, broad ribbon of living flesh and bone struck the frogs, toads, mice, birds, and other semi-terrestrial creatures with a paralyzing panic of dread, chilling the courage of some who were redoubtable fighters. If anything were lacking in their fright, the big moccasin had only to emit one of her shrill hisses, like the sound of high-pressure steam. Perhaps a hundred feet upstream, the brown moccasin suddenly shot like a flash of red light, as straight as an arrow propelled by her powerful bow across the creek, through the shallows, beneath the grass drapery, and up on the narrow mud flat at the foot of the crumbling bank, carrying in her distended jaws the dripping, hopping body of a large sun perch. Here was food for her, and food for the youngsters, aplenty. With the still quivering fish tightly gripped in her needle fangs, the serpent crawled awkwardly over the mud flat and up through the grass roots to where the babies were hidden, to the nest where she had left her family two hours ago. But all was not well at home. Even before she attained the sandy retreat, the brown moccasin sensed something wrong and wiggled desperately through the tangled undergrowth still holding the partly swallowed perch. The sibilant rustling of her tail as it switched the dead leaves spread a tense, ominous atmosphere through the surrounding jungle. A large beetle ceased his labors. With staring eyes, a gray field mouse scampered hastily away. A speeding kingfisher sent down a raucous note of derision. The dazzling blue dragonfly skimmed the tops of the grass and weeds on soundless wings, but evidently watchful. In the stiff sand adjoining the snake nest were innumerable footprints that told the story only too well. They said as plainly as if they had spoken that a large blue heron had feasted there, carefully picking and choosing according to his fancy. At least half of the baby moccasins were gone completely. Not more than a score remained, crawling aimlessly around the little hollow that had been their home. These seemed distraught and knew not which way to turn. The mother took in the situation at a glance, for this is not the first time that such a thing had happened to her household. Without more ado, she gulped furiously at the partially engulfed sunfish until the last of it had passed into a swollen lump through the narrows of her neck. No thought of feeding the family now, only to get away with them to some other locality as quickly as possible. As soon as the task was finished, the anxious mother set about swallowing the young moccasins one at a time in rapid succession. In fact, so great was their anxiety to reach a place of safety that the little fellows could not wait their turns, but crawled two and three at a time down the constricting throat of their mother. This had always been their custom when terrible danger hovered near or when the parent had decided it was moving day. When the last youngster was stowed away, the female moccasin, heavy with babies, slipped through the grass and literally fell down the eroded bank behind the dense fringe of slow grass. Without pausing, she threw herself out into the open water of the sun-scorched creek where she turned her head downstream. She swam slowly, ungracefully, with never a backward glance to the scene of her multiple tragedy. Nor did her undulating sides present the attractive picture they had when she had arrived. 
The life-filled pouch stretched the beautiful designs of her banded brown coat into grotesque, irregular shapes and almost colorless splotches. For a mile, the laden snake swam and floated, drifted and swam by jutting sandbars around slow bends past other sections of grass-fringed banks, and here the same deference was granted her by the inhabitants of the region. They moved aside and permitted her to pass unquestioned, content merely to stare solid-eyed after her. As she floated, the brown moccasin kept her eyes roving from bank to bank in search of a place that suited her. At last she turned in at the foot of a long slope parallel to the stream and leading to a high bank overlooking the water. With much difficulty she managed to climb out upon the muddy ledge and laboriously she made her way up the long slope. Below lay a deep circular pool of midnight blackness in the shade of a huge weeping willow. High above a startled jay screamed sarcastically. To the back, a careful rustling in the rank growth of willow sprouts indicated that some creature was cautiously withdrawing from the neighborhood. Here, the tired mother snake could be fairly safe. From here, she could make an instant long dive to the depths of the pool if it became necessary to flee from terrestrial attack. And far enough from the water to be safe from amphibious enemies, here she could disgorge her young and clean them with sundry wipings and coiling embraces. But before the disgorging process was well underway, the brown moccasin reared her flattening head in hissing anger. A peculiar, nauseating scent had been wafted to her, faint and indefinite as to source and proximity. She could not tell yet on whether to fight or to flee. To be on the safe side, she merely waited in silence, prepared for either event. The emanator of the odor was either a deadly enemy or food. Soon a vigorous stirring in the dead vegetation above and beyond her caused the brown moccasin to whirl quickly in that direction. Out of the grass and leaves squirmed a waddling, sleek, slimy creature, all mottled with bright yellow spots on a satiny hide. His frog-like snout and round eyes instantly branded him harmless to the tauntening snake. In fact, a certain air of helplessness enveloped him. His stubby fingers, destitute of claw or talon, marked him as an easy victim to a determined enemy. He ambled forth stupidly. Cocking his bright, innocent eyes first to one side, then to the other, he approached the slowly coiling serpent good-naturedly and with an apparent design to be friendly. The brown moccasin lowered her head while a simulated guileness seemed to envelop her. She lay perfectly quiet and watched the simple-minded intruder approach. Such an ignorant fellow! Such trusting simplicity! Why should she fear him? As he approached, a sinister tauntening of her muscular body should have warned him of impending danger. But the mud puppy was so trustful and innocent. He meant harm to no one, and therefore thought that no one meant harm to him. With all of his innocence, the size and shape of the salamander denoted his age as being past the inexperienced stage. It had been two years since he had ceased to live entirely in the water and had taken to blundering around in the damp, soggy places of the earth, eating nothing more exciting than flies, beetles, moss, and other small insects. His experience with danger had been manifold, and he should have known better than to waddle deliberately into this deadly peril. 
with his eyes open, as it were. Like the common toad, the salamander Eurodia is as harmless as he is ugly. His only method of defense is floundering. Having no teeth or fangs, he takes his food with a long, gluttonous tongue, which he ejects from his mouth with incredible swiftness to engulf the insect victim. It seems that these could avail him not in a life-and-death struggle with a powerful serpent. The brown moccasin merely waited for the salamander to approach within easy striking distance. No glint of mercy in her hypnotic stare, nor flickering black tongue. The afternoon shadows were growing longer, and a bright blue snake doctor circled above the twain like an omen, a silent witness to the coming tragedy. The open jaws of the savage snake shot out and closed over the mud puppy's head before he realized the significance of the vibrant hiss that accompanied the action. A moment he lay in passive surprise, apparently acceding to the sucking contortions of the snake. But the salamander was not such an easy victim after all. His thick forelegs spread wide apart in stubborn resistance to the sucking jerks of the self-enraged reptile. All her efforts seemed useless in swallowing him further than his braced shoulders. Nor was the serpent, with all her sinuous strategy, able to force those strong legs back along the spotted body, far enough to make swallowing easily. In fact, the puppy would at times momentarily succeed in almost tearing himself loose from the slimy cavern engulfing him, by hooking his stout toes in the corners of the snake's mouth, then lunging mightily. He could nearly escape, only to lose his hold and feel the savage gulp sucking him inward again. Unable to see, and lacerated with intense pain, the yellow-spotted creature battled nobly for his life in utter silence save for the threshing of dry grass and dead leaves. And so the battle raged for an hour or more, stirring up a miniature cyclone of leaves, grass, and mud. It could have been likened unto a mad fight between mighty jungle beasts where trees were shrubbery and rank jungle grass are torn up by the roots or trodden underfoot. For yards along the creek bank, the two desperate creatures matted the ground vegetation. Sometimes a salamander would drag the snake. Then the snake would drag the salamander back a yard or so with vicious, jerking witherings, only to find her strength spent and feel that she was in turn being yanked and tugged in the opposite direction. With his four stubby feet braced and his powerful tail hooked around the grass roots, the pain-maddened and fear-maddened puppy would slash the serpent along an inch at a time, meanwhile unintentionally permitting her to recoup her waning strength. The brown moccasin sickened of the thing. She endeavored to disgorge the thrashing incubus that was overwhelming her. Perhaps a squirming protest within warned her to desist. She was more than willing to comply, but too late. She found herself unable to extradite her needle fangs from the tough skin and bone of the puppy's neck. Desperately, she wretched and pried. Savagely, she wrenched and twisted. Desperately, she flopped, but all to no avail. The serpent was securely snared in her own trap. Then, with a last terrific backward lunge, the now thoroughly terrified water snake tore the salamander loose from his desperate foothold and threw him with herself far out over the stagnant pond at the foot of the embankment. 
Over and over they fell to light with a thrashing splash in the shaded waters, where their witherings notified the scavengers of the stream that a feast would soon be waiting. With uncanny instinct, the great armored alligator turtle was already standing by, with hooked jaws agape and ready to obey the unwritten mandates of Talon. A score of brilliant dragonflies swiftly circled the pool as if distraught, and an army of bead-eyed crawfish rapidly marshaled their forces. Clusters of silver-laced bubbles leaped to the surface of the darkening pond, then the water assumed again its placid serenity. It is said that no note of comedy ever leavens the events of wildlife, but whether this is true or not, a very fat possum, who had watched the ill-fated battle, curled his bewhiskered lips back in an unmistakably broad grin when he saw an extremely exhausted little salamander draw himself wearily out of the water and sink with drooping eyes upon the point of a sandbar. Around his neck, like a ruffled collar, he wore the mutilated jaws of the brown moccasin. And the possum knew that the armored alligator turtle had obeyed one of nature's immutable laws. The End I must have fallen asleep again. The next thing I remember was the librarian's voice from the hall outside. That damn young fool didn't lock the door, it said. Times aren't what they used to be. I ducked low and crept out when she wasn't looking. The whole drive back, all I could think about were those marvelous stories. Such marvelous stories.